Welcome to the What If Podcast with your hosts, Spencer Worth Davis and Ryan Copperwood. We're back with another episode of the What If Podcast. Hi, Spencer. Hi, Steve. I'm not Steve. That's the Auroras. <laughs> All right. The Auroras are named Steve, not me. How you doing, bro? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. I don't know why I decided to start the episode with an ice cube in my mouth. Let well, me fix that. <laughs> you could chew it into the mic and give everybody a taste of what that sounds like. Um, what's up, man? How you been? Good. Yeah. Fucking busy. Yep. We been busy. Yeah. Busy weekend. Spent about 30 hours in the studio over the weekend. Like that. Like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got real weird. It was a good time. No doubt. Mm-hmm. I was there for some of those hours. Not all of those hours. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, man. Uh, speaking of things getting weird, <laughs> oh boy, we are going down. We're going down one today. Uh-huh. That um, so off air, Spencer and I have confirmed that out of all of the topics that we talk about and have talked about, for some reason, this one just freaks us right the fuck out a little bit more <laughs> than the other ones. Um, today's question on the what if podcast is what if you disappeared? Yeah. It, uh, it just a little like forewarning. This is not as fun and as silly of a topic as we usually cover. I mean, we're still going to make jokes about unfunny well, things. That, but- that's what I wanted to get at is like, I'm going to try and make it somewhat light even though it's not a light topic and I don't mean any disrespect to missing people or their families, but it's, this is one that can get really heavy and really dark really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely no disrespect intended, uh, to anyone specifically. Uh, hopefully we talk about (laughs) more of a general disrespect. disrespect. (laughs) (laughs) It's how we live our lives. No, but we're, I guess like hopefully we talk about some of the older ones from like the eighties and nineties and yeah. And things that are probably, uh, beyond the the point of being sort of sharp at this yes. point. Yes. Um, but yeah, the 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 subject for today is Mr. David Politis's work. Primarily, we'll get into a couple couple other things, but yeah, we're gonna talk about uh, David Politis of Missing Four One One fame. And and you have delved so much deeper into this than I have, and I'm really freaked out. So I, I can't imagine how you feel because you've been dealing with a lot more of this material recently. I think it's partially an association that I have with it too. Like the first the first time I ever really started looking into this stuff, I was in England, staying in one of the biggest national parks in England, in the middle of nowhere by myself for a week or 10 days or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as as we learn and tell more of these stories, you will understand why that experience. <laughs> yeah, so the first time I ever heard about this stuff, it's so creepy. I, I didn't have like cell service or internet or anything, and so I just downloaded before there was like a place I could walk to a couple miles from where I was staying where I could get Wi-Fi. So like every day I'd go down there and like send my wife a text and let her know that I hadn't died yet and like download some podcasts so I had something to do during the day. Still here. Yeah, basically. There's like one time a day I could use my phone and like I'd plug it in for an hour so it would last the rest of the day. Yeah. And I just downloaded a bunch of podcasts so that like I had something to listen to at night or when I was walking around or whatever. And so I threw one I threw a mysterious universe episode on at like two thirty in the morning while I'm out in the middle of this field by myself yeah. waiting. <laughs> Waiting for the Milky Way to come up over the horizon so I could take a picture of it. Cool. 
and I'm standing out in this field of sheep with like no one in probably a five mile radius of me in the middle of a national park in another country (laughs) (laughs) with like no cell service. I don't even, I wouldn't even know how to describe where I am to someone else. And listening to uh, David Plytus talk about young men in their 20s who go missing in national parks. Yeah. And then show up dead in a river later. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. That probably... So... Were you just waiting for someone on the podcast to be like, and then men go missing in national parks, (laughs) Spencer. And you're like, oh, he's said my name! Watch out, little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) They're coming for me! Speaking to you directly. Yeah, so I think every time I, I read this stuff or like listen to Politis talk about it, puts me back in that moment where I really yeah. genuinely freaked myself out for right. a while. Well, one of the things we were talking about uh, as we were prepping for this episode too is like, you know, of all the things that we talk about, all of the weird and paranormal and mysterious and crazy things, like this is one that it sort of fits into a lot of those categories, but you know, there are a lot of people who have stories about things that happen. We're like, whoa, that's a crazy story, man. And we don't, we can't really like, we can't confirm that that story happened to somebody. Like, you know, we don't, we don't like judge or denigrate other people's stories about what happened to them. But if you tell me that you got abducted by aliens, I don't have any way to prove that. Right. And the crazy thing that is so, I guess, disconcerting about Politis's work is that like, we have all of the evidence that these things happen. I mean, there's there's no question about the what. Yeah, the dude is a journalist and 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 pulls from local papers and about all of these mysterious disappearances. We just don't know the how, right? But or the, the why, or yeah. the why. But the but the but the what of these people actually disappearing and disappearing under really weird circumstances and being found in very weird ways is all like that's mm-hmm. all true it's, as far as. A, journalist perspective goes. it's much more real than than most of the weird shit that we talk about and it's much more uh overtly negative yeah like, the outcome is just never really good that's actually really true i didn't think about it like that either like a lot of people get abducted by aliens and they're like it changed my worldview and now i love everyone and in the 60s yeah I guess <laughs> and then the that. 90s it turned into more like they yeah. probed my butt they had a lot and of i had an alien baby yeah um, but yeah, it's the, there's no good outcome. If if no matter what it is, it's something bad. Yeah, like like the best case scenario I think we're going to talk about today is like people disappeared for a long time and then came back. But the but the bad part is that we uh, still don't entirely know where they went or what happened while they were gone. And usually that's not good. And yeah. usually that's not yeah. good either. So um, but so yeah, so gonna be a little. A little strange and a little scary today, but we'll try to lighten things up as we go. Um, But before we get into that, we have a couple quick things we need to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, You want want Bruno Watch 2017 first or you want listener emails first? um, What do you think? Let's let's go Bruno Watch. It's, It's short. All right. So for those of you who don't remember, we've been keeping track of Bruno Borges. Yep. Uh, our Brazilian, our Brazilian friend who made a weird uh, art installation shrine, fourteen go, encrypted books thing in his bedroom in his parents' house, and then disappeared and is yet to be found. Just to clarify, he's not like our like homie friend. Like we don't actually know this dude, but he's our like internet friend because we love what he has done. Right, <laughs> and we're curious about where the hell he is. Yeah, 
He's probably where all the other missing 411 people are. Oh, yeah. Uh, a couple updates on Bruno. Uh, oh, we have a couple. All right. Yeah. Well, one and a half, sort of. Shout out to Crump on uh, passing this along, by the way. This is sourced from Dr. Robert Crump. What's up, Crump? <laughs> um, all right. The first update. One of his uh, one of his buddies came out and talked to the uh, talked to the Brazilian press and um, said that Bruno has said in the past that he can astral project, mm-hmm. meaning he yeah, can give us a definition of that because yeah, I'm a little soft on it too. Uh, he can leave his physical body mm. and project his astral self, or you could think of it as like his. Uh, his soul or his spirit to other locations. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So an, an out-of-body experience in which you can actually travel to another location mm. while your physical body stays put. It's like lucid dreaming, but in the real world kind of? Yes. Uh, yeah. But So you can actually like observe real events and sometimes interact and with them and- Make choices. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yep. Um, so maybe Bruno is astrally projecting <laughs> to another time or place. And what when you're astral projecting? What are you? So where's your physical body? Does your physical body disappear? Where, no, just wherever you left it. Where do you leave his body, bro? It's probably in that statue. <laughs> I really hope he is hanging he's, out inside well, that statue. He's long dead. If that's the case, though, that's true. He's, Maybe, been, he's been gone for like a month. Or he's more got now. like a little cocktail straw, just like through the metal that's getting him air. <laughs> he's just breathing he, through. He hasn't eaten or drank or peed and. A month, and maybe he just brought in like a bunch of takis. Mm. Maybe, maybe he's like uh, those monks that can lower their heart rate. Oh, yeah, to the point where they they seem like they're dead, but they're yeah. just like hibernating. His body temperature is like yeah. eighty two degrees or whatever. And he slows heart rate down to like four beats a day or something. Man, Bruno. Um, the second update is that apparently Interpol has gotten in on the search for him, which is like a very legitimate. <laughs> Right, that's agency. Yeah, granted, I'm sourcing this from coast to coast AM, so well, yeah, well, it might not be true. Shout out to as, coast as, to coast. As always, <laughs> the things you hear on this podcast probably aren't true. <laughs> A lie was born. Um, but yeah, uh, Interpol is trying to help locate Bruno, uh, who they, for some reason, it says they believe is still alive. It doesn't say why they believe that. Yeah, I mean, maybe because it seems like other people have had contact with him. Oh, uh, word. I don't, I don't know why, but... Or until you find a body, maybe you go, he's maybe traveling or out there? Or? I would guess most often if people are missing for a month, it doesn't have a good outcome, yeah. as we may learn later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely... So, Bruno, really out here. Very out here. Um, yeah. So... Uh, one thing, one thing we wanted to dive into too, uh, for those of you who are new to Bruno Watch, uh, there's probably a lot of you because holy shit, we've been getting a lot of new listeners. Yeah, thanks, dudes. Yeah, thanks, dudes and dudettes and and whatever dude version you identify with, uh, we appreciate all y'all. Um, we kind of get surprised like every day by how many new uh, ones of y'all are showing up and hanging out and listening to the podcast. So thanks. And shout out to Dan because he's the only person that I know by name is new to listening to us. Okay, what's up, Dan? <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so thank you guys so much. Um, for those of you who are new, if you haven't heard us say this before, um, we don't do like a ton of traditional advertising. So if you could do, 
a couple things to help us out if you'd enjoyed any of the episodes so far. Um, these three things really, really, really help us. So um, if you could just really quickly hop over to iTunes and leave us a rating or a review, preferably, preferably both, that would be amazing. Uh, also, do we still have hats? Yeah, I got a couple. Okay. So we got some what if hats um, that uh, we will send you if you just tweet at us. Uh, what if pod or on Facebook is what if pod or on Instagram is what if pod. You can hit us up on any channel and we'll not, probably hear from you. Not if you just tweet at us though. No, no, no. You have to go. You have to leave a rating and a review yeah. and then screen grab it and send it to us and we will mail you a free what if hat. Yes. Which is like, that's a pretty. For like the next nine or 10 people. Cause I think that's all you I have We're pretty close out. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. A bunch of people have taken us up on it. So, so please do. Um, you can also send that to hi at whatifpodcast.com if you prefer to not social. See. And then otherwise just tell a friend, y'all, because it seems like a lot of you have been telling friends because I don't know up. how else we're getting so many of y'all new people coming it's through. It's probably just Ben listening to like 47 episodes in a day or whatever he did. Yeah, he, well, so so that was one more thing before we dive into the Missing 411 David Politis stuff fully. Uh, we wanted to read a quick listener email that we got uh, this weekend. Uh People are sharing their paranormal experiences with us, which is awesome. I highly encourage everyone, if you have good stories about ghosts or UFOs or big feats or, uh, you know. 612-246-4614. Call and leave us a voicemail or hi at whatifpodcast.com if you just want to send us an email um, and tell us some stuff. Uh, we won't say Ben's last name, but thank you, Ben, for writing uh, an extensive email about your personal experiences with the paranormal. Um I'm gonna read a little a little section of Ben's email real quick. Yeah. Also, Ben uh, was talking about astral projection in his email a little bit too. He and was. I don't think we're gonna read that part, but no. Um, that's maybe something we should consider doing an episode about in the future. Yeah, definitely. On on with Ben's ghost story. So Ben has an amazing ghost story that takes place in Madison, Wisconsin. Shout out to Madison. Shout out to Madison. I think I maybe stayed in a haunted apartment in madison once oh damn yeah with uh there was a ghost cat oh yeah. damn mm -hmm. oh ghost cats um so so ben's story starts and uh, i'll just i'll just start reading from here uh my first ghost story excuse me my first ghost story took place at a house that was turned into an upper and lower apartment about 200 feet from a river so that may have had something to do with the energy people felt there right as we moved in it was with my girlfriend and two of her friends we talked to the downstairs neighbors because they knew the people I was living with. They told us that the house was haunted in no uncertain terms and that weird stuff happens. It's like always what you want to hear right when you move into a new place, right? Oh, by yeah, the way. Uh, shit's weird. <laughs> by the way, uh, can, we, can, we tear that, uh, can we tear that contract up real quick? Watch out, little bitch. Yeah, indeed. Um, the only story of theirs that stuck in my head was how they would on occasion find soap stacked up in their shower and none of them were doing it. Ooh. They seemed super freaked out and moved out as soon as their lease was up because of how weird stuff was. That's Is that just like a really cleanly poltergeist? <laughs> I love ghost stories like, like that where it's like, I'm going to hang around this house forever because I need to stack this stack soap. This soap. <laughs> it's like, it's like. Maybe maybe they were they died in an era where soap was like so foreign to you. You just like washed with cold water and like got back into your clothes. And he's like, as soon as that ghost found soap, he was like, oh, I'm hoarding all the soap. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, all right. So he says, this is an older house, likely around turn of the century, and it had skeleton key locks that had never been replaced. Spooky. My girlfriend's room was tiny, and it had enough space for a queen bed, a dresser, and a side table with enough room to walk to the end of the bed, which almost butted up against the wall. It was tiny. 
We were having a party, and my girlfriend locked her room so no one could get in. She wanted to show her boss how small her room was there, so we went to unlock the door. As she put the key in, before she even had a chance to turn it, the door started shaking violently, and the key was spit from the keyhole and bounced off the wall almost right at the level it was in the door. That's how much force it had. We all paused, looked at each other, sort of laughed it off, which, good on you, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then opened the door after without incident. My girlfriend, also on multiple occasions said that people were walking around that were not there and it felt like you were not alone at some points. Too spooky for me. Too spooky. Thanks for sharing with us, Ben. That's pretty wild. Um, he, ben sent us a bunch of stories, but that's the only one we're going to read today. Um, if you have paranormal experiences you want to share with us, please do. Um, yeah, the, the key hitting the door across the hallway is pretty, uh, pretty, pretty impressive. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Okie dokie. Um, so Ben did talk to us a little bit about astral projection. We're not going to get into astral projection. We should uh, at some later date, though, because yeah. that's some wild shit. There's room for us to ask some questions there. Yeah. Um, should we just take like a super fast break and then dive into Mr. Politis quick? Yeah, sure. All right, we're going to take a really quick break, and we will dive back as we start answering our question for today. What if you disappeared? Gotcha, bitch. We'll be right back. Ha 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 ha. All right, we're back. We are back. Talking about missing 401 and and what if you disappeared and David Blightus and Bruno. Oh man, and it's uh, it's about to get weird. It is about to get so weird. Where do you even, where do you, sir, even start with a topic like this? All right, here's where I'm going to start. All right, David Politis uh, is an author. He's written, I think, it's six books now. It's a lot of books. Uh, most of them have "Missing 411" as the the main title, and then there are subtitles like "Hunters" and "A Sobering Coincidence" and a bunch of other stuff. Yes. Uh, he's also a retired police officer from California, and he... I just do feel like that lends, like, credence to this dude's investigative work in general. Like, yeah. the fact that he's formerly a cop lends itself to him being able to, like, suss out some details. Yeah, he, he had a 20-year career of investigating shit professionally. Yeah. Um, he now runs... A project with, uh, I think it's three other guys, called the Can Missing Can-Am Project, um, where they investigate mysterious, mysterious disappearances of people. Um, originally, it was uh, people that went missing in national parks in North America, and they've then branched out to uh, the last two books were about people who have gone missing while hunting, um, and the one before that was about young men who went missing in urban areas and then were later found in or near water, even though they maybe didn't disappear in or near water. And is the, is the idea that the books themselves all like most of the stories have like overlapping characteristics to them, but they're not necessarily like the same place or. Yeah. So the, there is, he's developed a sort of profile to what he considers to be these missing 411 cases that are different from just your standard missing persons accounts. Because mm. I'm sure people go missing in national parks 
fairly often for fairly ordinary reasons. You right. get lost, you get, I mean, there are lots of wild animals in, in national parks. I, I spent some time in Denali up in Alaska last summer, and there are lots of grizzly bears, and yeah, there yeah. are all kinds of, you know, very fast moving rivers and streams, and right. you can, and you can be 50 miles from the nearest anything right. at times. So, right. uh, not to mention, you know, cold weather and snow and all kinds of all kinds of things that could get you into trouble. But he developed this sort of profile of uh, these missing 411 cases that include, so someone goes missing. Usually they disappear suddenly um, without calling out for help or um, any signs of a struggle. You'd think if someone went uh, missing because they'd been attacked by an animal, or eaten or something, you would find blood or you would find tracks. Clothes or like shred shredded clothing. Yeah, or... and sometimes clothing is found, but not really in those in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, you would find animal tracks. Uh, you would find right. you'd be able to track the person themselves. Um, that is never the case. They never find animal tracks. They never find they're ne- never able to track the person who has gone missing. Um, there's often a severe shift in the weather either during the time that this person goes missing or immediately after, mm. which I'm not really sure if that's super relevant or, well, yeah. Or that could be why people go missing and aren't found. Cause it's a lot, I would imagine it's a lot harder to carry out a search and rescue mission yeah. for someone. If there's a thunderstorm or a snowstorm or whatever, yeah, they're probably not sending people up a mountain or into a national park if it's, yeah. Um, it's often extremely intelligent people or people with disabilities. Interesting. Um, and people are often found missing items of their clothing. And that clothing is often or sometimes found uh, neatly arranged or like it's been intentionally removed rather than if you were to be uh, attacked by an animal and sure. have stuff ripped off or, you know, it's like, or if you fell down a hill and like got it ripped off by a tree. Right. Or, it's more like shoes or boots were untied. Pants were unbuttoned. Belt was undone, taken off, folded up next to him sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so that, that was the original profile that he developed for these people that went missing in national parks. And he was actually first alerted to the fact that people were going missing in national parks by, um, he was in, I forget which park, but a national park in California. And two of the, so the national park has their own police force. Oh, okay. And I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's big, very, very big and very spread out and it's a federal organization. So you couldn't really rely on local, you know, county or municipal police to have those resources. Yeah. And yeah, for sure. So they have their own, uh, federal police force and, Two members of this uh, of the National Park Police approached him um, with this. They knew he had written a couple books before the missing four one one books that were sort of peripherally related, and they approached him because uh, they wanted to talk about people who were going missing in national parks and the fact that the National Park Service keeps no record of missing people. It's just so weird to me. Like, yeah, they, so 
He he started out in Yosemite ask, yeah. asking for he filed a, a Freedom of Information Act um to get a list of missing people who had gone missing from Yosemite. And they were like, nah. And they said it did not exist. Not that he could not have it, but that they do not keep a record of that. That's like I, I don't even understand how that's possible. Like to your point about there being I mean, we have national parks all over this country. There are huge spaces. They are inherently more dangerous than like, well, I guess not more dangerous than your daily life, but like there are dangerous places. I, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the stakes are higher at least. Stakes are higher for sure. Yeah. You're out of communication, probably or possibly it could be hot or cold. Like you said, right. like there's so many ways. You're more that, isolated. Yeah, yeah. There's so many ways and so many difficulties around being found again that you would think that they would like try to keep track of that just right. in general. Which would also make it harder to keep track of it, but you would think, yeah, it seems crazy to me that they wouldn't have some sort of running tab of that. Because, I mean, any any city, if you go into Minneapolis police or what, any, any city's police uh, station or police force is going to keep a list of missing people. Right. Well, and also, isn't like the whole thing about keeping a list of missing people is just for like due diligence to like document what is happening. But also right. like what happens if you find a skeleton on your mountain in Yosemite in three years after something happens, right. you go like, I don't know, just a, just a dead pirate. I mean, like you have, <laughs> like you have no, you, you wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. Right. You can't, you can you can't attribute. Oh, like, Oh, okay. That dude left with a, with a dog tag that said X, Y, and Z. So that's probably so-and-so's son or like, I, or I don't even know. to be able to narrow it down to, Oh, well X number of people went missing in the park in the last five years. Here's a list of the 50 people. This could be right. Or if yeah. you're the national park service and you want people to keep visiting your parks, you could be like, well, hey. <laughs> and that's, I, that, that was Politis's angle initially because he, okay. So he got, he, he was told, no, we don't have that information. But we could compile it for you if you want to pay for it. If you want to pay for the labor that it would take to compile this list, we could do it for you. And they quoted him $34,000 to compile those records just for Yosemite. And if he wanted it nationally, it was going to be $1.4 million. Well, okay, wait. If they... If they're saying, if they're saying mm -hmm. that they can get it for him, mm -hmm. that means it exists somewhere. Right. So to your point of if you want people to keep visiting the national parks, it seems more like, yes, we do have this. And yes, we intentionally don't publicize it because we generate shitloads of money from people all over the country visiting national parks all year. And not knowing the actual number, which is potentially much scarier than anyone wants because to think Because it, it is inherently dangerous. Right. And but you don't want to you don't want to, people to get that in their heads because then they don't visit and then you stop generating money. Right. Come visit. We only lost a hundred people last year. Uh, no. Right. Um, the national park in Tennessee, Great Great Smoky Mountain Smoke, National Park, Smoky Mountain, uh, yeah, Smoky Mountain National Park, yeah, yeah. Um, for the surrounding area in Tennessee, annually generates seven hundred and fifty million dollars of revenue every year. Jesus, for one park. So there's there's a ton at stake uh, in having people continue to visit the parks and continue to spend money both in the parks and then in the surrounding areas too. Right. Cause it's not just 
you know, you're driving across the country to get there and you're sure. staying outside the park for a couple of days. You're staying in the park for a couple of days. You're buying supplies. Yeah. You eating, may be staying drinking. at a hotel around You're Yeah. You're buying supplies. You're going out to eat once or twice. You know, there's, there's a ton of money spent by millions of people every year that if they find out people are not only going missing, but we don't really know why or how often, or it's under really weird circumstances people might stop going or at least fewer people will go. Yeah, man. So he then uh, this is getting <laughs> it's already getting worse because they would not compile that information for him. He sort of found a loophole in that if he was able to ask for information about a specific person or a specific case, if he already had enough information to say this person, I need this report for this person from this date. Then they would pull it and give it to him. Yes, because all they then had to do was pull one file. And then it was on him to compile it and to, you know, glean any sort of extra information from it. So he started this project with three other guys where they have started trying to accumulate accumulate as many of those files as possible. And the missing 411 books are basically just lists of these case files that fit this specific profile that he's put together. So like, okay, so for, so you said the the Parks one was his first one after these dudes hit him up and they were like, hey, people are going missing. You should come check this and out. And there were, there were three books. So he did like Eastern U.S., Western U.S. And All that, about people going missing in national parks? Mm-hmm, and they're 400 some pages each. How, well, but how many, what are you talking, like 20 cases or 15 cases? No, or? no, no, no. I mean, the, the case files are like a page or two each. There are, there are hundreds of case files in each of these books. <laughs> like here, look, like this is the, oh, I, I've, wow, I've, I've only read the, the Hunters one and the Sobering Coincidence one, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But I mean, that's, it's a 400 page book and every couple pages is a new, new case. Fuck and he, that. he just arranges them by by location. So there's like chapter one. He just goes alphabetically through every state, basically. Oh, it's legit like case file yeah. information. Oh yep. wow. And they're like two pages long. Yeah. And he doesn't he doesn't propose any sort of explanation. He doesn't really uh try and figure out what's happening or why it might be happening. He doesn't speculate about any of it. He just gives here's what happened, here's when and where it happened. And here are some similarities I see amongst all of them. I noticed this when I was, like I said, like I dove into this much lighter than you did, but I was listening to a bunch of interviews this past week. And that's one thing that I noticed, especially with the people who interview him Mm -hmm. is that, and I think it, and I think it lends itself to like the universe that like this kind of information is drawn to, but like a lot of the people who are interviewing him are trying to get him. They like try to pigeonhole him into, they're like, wow, that's pretty crazy. It's almost as if, and then they like give him this leading statement. Yeah. And and like you almost, when you, when you hear this dude respond to people, he's like, he's like another interesting thing about like, he almost he just straight blows up right past changes yeah. subject to talk about another interesting fact of a case or another related case. Mm-hmm. It seems like he has a strong urge to adhere to all I know is what I know, which is me and some researchers talked to people about this thing, and this is what we learned. Yeah. And and there are some similarities between them, but the, the closest I've heard him get to really speculating or uh, even acknowledging any sort of 
uh, theories about what might be happening. He he did an interview on Coast to Coast AM. Uh, I think it was late last year, like probably right around or right before the his most recent book came out. Word. He's not that old, is he? Uh, he's probably f- in his fifties. Good. Yeah. Um, and George Nori, the host of Coast to Coast AM, just goes through like, okay, we've heard a bunch of these stories. Could it be Bigfoot? Mm. And. <laughs> <laughs> and and he actually responds to to each of these. Um, so he's like, could it be Bigfoot. He's like, well, there should be tracks. If yeah. if Bigfoot is real, if there's a big ape running around out in the woods, there would be tracks. If an animal comes onto a trail and snatches somebody, either the animal or the person is for sure going to make some noise. Right. So the other person, the other people around them would definitely hear something. He's like, from what I know about Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard he really stinks, so you should be able to smell him. You know, it's like if it were an animal, there would be indications Evidence that there were an, an animal, animal around. Right. Because he asked him the same thing. Like, could it be mountain lions? Right. Could it be bears taking people out? And it's like, you would see tracks. Right. You would, there would be a, a body somewhere that had been eaten. You would at least have bones. There would right. be blood. There would be torn clothing. You would hear the animal. All, the, sure. all these different things. One of the interesting ones I heard him say related to the hunting ones is he was like, a lot of these dudes had guns. If they were getting mm-hmm. attacked by an animal, they probably would have tried to shoot the animal. Well, and with the hunting ones, the other thing he says is you have a gun. So, yes, if you're getting attacked by an animal, you could shoot. But even if you just get lost, stay in one spot and fire your rifle. In the air. Yeah. You know, you got you got at least 10 rounds on you, if not more. Right. Probably way more. And I'm not a hunter, so I don't know how accurate this is. But he said that most hunters... Uh, three consecutive shots is a signal that you need help. Oh, it's like the SOS for I, hunters? I guess, okay. yeah. So he, he said that most hunters are taught, if you ever get lost, if you get separated from your group, yep. you fire three consecutive shots, he said like every 15 minutes or something. Got it. Until somebody finds you, because they can narrow, you know, triangulate on the sound sure. and find you. Go that direction until we have and more gunshots. No one, ever, no one ever reports that. Right. And the couple times that the the hunter's weapons have been recovered. They've spent no rounds or like one round. Mm. Anyway, going back, he wrote uh, the three people missing in national parks books. Yep. Um, East coast, West coast, and then greater North America. So mm-hmm. Canada and Midwest and stuff. Um, then in 2014, maybe um, he put out this book called, Missing 411, A Sobering Coincidence. Okay. That is all, it meets a lot of the the profile points of the National Park's disappearances, but it's young men, usually in their 20s, college-aged men who have disappeared from urban areas or from universities or both, and then are later found in water. And it's usually ruled as a drowning but doesn't really add up. So like my, so my skeptic mind mm-hmm. initially is like, so like for those of you who don't know, we live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is home to one of the biggest universities in the country. University of Minnesota. The University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And we have a giant river that goes through the middle of our city. That would be the Mississippi. That would be the Mississippi. And you kind of go, all right, drunk 18 and 19 year olds, big fast moving body of water like 
that's probably things happen. happen, right? I mean, right. like people are going to make some stupid decision. Oh, let's go hang out in the river, and then you mm-hmm. you die. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion Politis isn't covering like natural drownings, and that and that was my initial reaction too. Is like, seems like that would happen, right? Let me, let me read through one of these. Yeah, let's get into let's get into a couple of these specifics so we okay. can have some. So this one is from Massachusetts. Uh, this is from 2009. A gentleman named William Hurley uh, went missing. He was 24 years old. Went missing from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, in October of 2009. Will wakes up at 4:30 in the morning to go to work. He works his shift. After the, after his shift, one of his buddies at work says, "Hey, I've got tickets to the Bruins game tonight. Do you want to go with me?" So they go to the Bruins hockey game downtown Boston. Sure. Game starts at 7.30. They're at the game. End of the first period, Will's like, I don't feel good. I feel sick. I think I'm going to go home. And he calls his wife to come pick him up. Walks outside to find his wife. And he's on the phone with her. because she, she calls him. She's like, hey, I'm, I'm at the arena. Right. Where are you? Like, what side are you on? I'll come pick you up. And he's talking to her on the phone. And at the point where she's like, okay, I'm just around the corner. See you in two seconds. Hangs up. She comes around the corner, and he's not there. Okay. In between hanging up the phone and coming around, like literally turning a corner, so it's five seconds, this dude has disappeared from downtown Boston. And uh, she tries calling him. His phone is on, like it rings, but he's not answering. Um, On October 14th, so she eventually calls the police and says, I don't know what's going on. My, my husband, husband is missing. missing. He's not answering his phone. He should have been right here. His friend doesn't know where he is. He's, right. he's just gone. And so they start a search for him. They can't find him. Five days later on October 14th, uh, sorry, October 15th, six days later, they find his body in the river. They do an autopsy to figure out like, what the hell happened to this dude? He He wasn't drunk. He was coherent he was you know he said he felt sick but like whatever um they did an autopsy which concluded that he had been in the water for no more than two days which means there's a four-day gap there he was missing for four days before he was in the water and there's no apparent in most of these there's no apparent cause of death other than drowning oftentimes there's not water in the lungs Meaning so that he's either just discovered in water, but yes. didn't necessarily asphyxiate in water. Correct. But also dead. Correct. With no other apparent cause of death. Bro, I hate so, this so much. There are no injury <laughs> there are no injuries to the body. They found his phone, but not on him. And they didn't say where. So the autopsy comes back. He died. We don't know why. He was in the water for no more than 48 hours. We found his phone not on him, and it didn't state where. That seems kind of crucial, but... Right. So it would seem that this dude got abducted somehow, was held somewhere for four days, and then dumped, maybe? Or was, like, on a bender? I mean, like, probably not, but... You don't go from being coherent and calling... Like, if you're going on a crazy drunken bender... Or if you're, you know, you have solo, some, like, right. You don't, you don't go solo. First of all, 
You don't call your wife to tell her to come pick you up. I don't know how you disappear in five seconds after you've been trying to connect with somebody. Right. And he was apparently sober at the time that this all started. I hate it. (laughs) And then if you die, most people die from something. Right. This is a 24 year old dude. You don't just die. Right. And if you have a psychotic break or something, you don't very carefully say to you, the guy you're with, Hey, excuse me, I'm going to go have a psychotic break and disappear for four days and then end up dead in a river. You know, like without any sign of the people who saw him immediately, like within seconds before and who knew him best. was like, yeah, he was fine. So how, okay. Oh God, this is the worst. (laughs) All right. So how many of these? So, okay. So we're talking about like 200 per book of these stories, a sobering coincidence is the one about these types of stories. Yes. How many of these stories would you say like pretty closely resembles that trope? Of the one that I just read? Yeah. Um, I, I picked that one out specifically because it's, he was seen so, or heard from and seen by two different people immediately before he disappeared. Yeah. Some of these are more like, um, you know, somebody left a party Right. People can't exactly pinpoint when they saw them last. Right. Um, you know, somewhere between one and two, he left the party and then right. he, he didn't show up at home. And then the next morning we started looking for him. Right. And we were all drunk when it started, that sort right. of thing. Um, they're all some variation of that, though, where they were seen and then they weren't. And then they were found later. In water, looked like maybe a drowning. They do an autopsy, and they've been in the water for a day or six hours. But they've been missing for—I mean, some people were missing for upwards of a month, and then found in water. Sometimes propped up in water. There was a dude who was found propped up in the middle of the Mississippi. Somebody went out and put him in the middle of the river a month later. That visual just made me want to like run out of this room. <laughs> so it's clearly be it's it's not accidental. the The whole point of all of these that he's pulled is that it couldn't be accidental. It's not someone got drunk, went to pee by the river, and you know fell in face passed first out and, and fell in or something, and you know. Right, because that, because then, because okay, because if they do that, then there's like going to be a decomposition of the body that occurs over a six day period that goes like, yeah, so roughly at six a.m. after that dude right. tried to stumble his dumbass home and couldn't get there, drunkenly fell in the river, drowned almost immediately mm-hmm. or whatever within an hour, mm-hmm. and then your body decomposes five days worth, and you go, yeah, that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the point of the sobering coincidence is that none of these make any fucking sense. Right. And uh, so I'm just going to go through a few more of them because yeah, they're, they're hundreds. Please. Um, this one is doesn't quite fit the pattern, but it's it's unique in uh, the outcome. I don't like how you said that. <laughs> it's it's less it's less horrible than most of the other ones. All right, bet. Let's do this. And it's actually another interesting thing that he outlines is a lot of these cases go back pretty far like this one is from 1978 so he pulls all the way from some of them go back to the 50s and 60s 
all the way up through I think the through like 2013, so right before it was published. Man, he must yeah. just be diving through missing case files and waiting until one like hits on a couple different. Sounds like this dude does this full time, and it's cool because he he travels to a lot of these locations when he's researching them too. So like, there are there's this whole section here about Chicago, and so he went to Chicago, and is pulling up the police reports and pulling up photos to try and find like, okay, if he fell in here, could the river currents pull him to the place where he was mm. found? And he's he's doing a lot of this research firsthand too, which Word. is kind of cool. Yeah. Um. So, okay, 1978 in Holland, Michigan, Steve Kubaki, Kubaki, Steve, he's uh, a student at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, and uh, he, he goes out one day to do some skiing, and he's skiing, like, along the, uh, the edge of a frozen river. He's doing, like, cross-country skiing. Okay. And, um, a little dangerous, Steve, but I like your style. Well, you know, I guess if you're in Northern Michigan, Michigan, Michigan in the winter, yeah. it's, this happened in the February 19th. So okay. it's the middle of winter. Yeah. Um, he goes cross country skiing along the edge of Lake Michigan and he never comes back. So his roommates, after he doesn't return, they call the police and they start doing a very, uh, thorough search, search and rescue for him. Um, a couple days later, they find his skis, his poles and footprints that led about 200 yards out onto the lake. And then the footprints stopped and his skis and his poles are just sitting there. So he's carrying his skis and his poles for some reason, which already seems kind of weird. Walks 200 yards out onto the lake, sets them down, and disappears. The The police report <laughs> says that he fell into the lake. Well, I was just going to say, like, obviously my, my initial reaction is, okay, so there's a soft spot or a weak spot or a crack. He falls through. However many days later, it's frozen over again. Mm-hmm. But I feel like even that, there would be some evidence of like a break or a crack or whatever that would make sense. Although if that's what they claimed, I mean, hold on. Great. So that was February 19th, 1978. (laughs) I'm looking, I'm looking for one Spencer. I'm looking for an out. I got, well, this is going to get way worse for you trying to find an explanation, but way better in that somebody didn't die this time. Oh, okay. Uh, That was February 19th, 1978. Okay. In Northern Michigan. Okay. May 5th, 1979. Steve wakes up on a Saturday night, 40 miles from his father's house in Deerfield, Massachusetts. Nah, bro. (laughs) Nah. He said, he tells his dad that he lost consciousness and didn't, doesn't remember anything until he woke up in Massachusetts 14 months later. He woke up lying in a field in Massachusetts 14 months after he went missing and his parents were told that he fell through the ice and died. He wakes up in a fucking field 700 miles east of where he was left. I know I'm supposed to be saying stuff because this is a podcast, (laughs) but I literally am speechless right now. And he never... What's that guy's name again? 
Uh, Steve Ku- Steve Kubaki. K U B A C K I. I don't know how to say it. I don't know. I don't know what the chances are that somebody knows Steve Kubaki, but holy shit, I would like well, to talk to Steve Kubaki. Well, he was twenty four in nineteen seventy eight, so I'm bad at math, but that puts him at sixty three, sixty four. Yeah. But still, I want that one. And he he just went out, like picked up and went on with his life somehow. I I, I guess I don't know what hey else. Guys. <laughs> I don't know what else you're supposed to do. Long time no see. <laughs> well, not to him. He like he skipped 14 months without noticing. That's true. He's like I will, I was skiing and now I'm in this field 700 miles east. Like to him it was those were two consecutive instances. Does it say what he was wearing? Uh It'd be crazy if he was wearing his I ski suit. I lost my page now. Hold on. <laughs> He's wearing his ski suit. Um it's like nothing changed. I'm betting that's not the case. Okay, but. let's see. Uh, on May, f- I'm just reading directly from the book now, yeah. May, May 5th, 1979, Steve Kubaki came back to life. Uh, this May 7th article in the independent, that must be a paper in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. explains what happened. Quote, Stephen Kubaki says he woke up Saturday night, 40 miles from his father's house in Deerfield, Massachusetts. He was the subject of an intensive search after his skis and backpack were found along the Lake Michigan shoreline, south of Holland, Michigan. They told us he slipped under the ice, Kubaki's father, a 53-year-old retired factory worker, said. We didn't believe that. He told me he lost consciousness and he didn't remember anything until he woke up here. The young Kubaki said he was laying in a meadow when he woke up Saturday. I didn't know where I was. He said, I was wearing clothes that weren't mine. I started going through a backpack, which I assumed was mine, and I found maps. I guess I was hitchhiking. I I didn't know what the date was until I walked into town and bought a newspaper. What the fuck? Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I guess oh. with that one, you know, maybe maybe there's some sort of psychological you fall in the lake, you get, get hypothermia, you get or you, you know, you have you some were. some sort of break or you have some sort of amnesia type or fugues. I I, I don't know what it would be. Yeah. But then no one else knows where you were either. Right. And you've been living somewhere for 14 Around. months. Right. Yeah. And obviously having interactions with some people. You had clothes and a backpack and there was stuff in it and you moved 700 miles across the country. I also am relatively sure that like, I don't know a lot about fugue states or like amnesia, but I don't think it all just like happens one day. You just, you don't just wake up and you go, everything that I used to know is now back in my head. It's like usually a slow process of like, oh yeah, I can remember first names or I can remember some like cities or whatever. Right. And all of his memory up till that date (laughs) is where he went missing is, is totally intact though. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I would think... If it was amnesia or something, it seems like an awfully, it's like a hard break where I remember nothing from this date to this date. And I remember everything before and after it perfectly fine. And you would think there'd be some evidence of, you know, that would have to be something that a doctor could diagnose. You know what I mean? There'd be some, if it was brain damage or if it was psychological or whatever. Right. He just went back to living his life and now he's a practicing psychiatrist trying to dig deep into his own brain and unlock the key to i guess i wouldn't want to know i would not want to know what i did for 12 months or 14 months and that's where it gets into like 
you know, on going back to from a while ago now, uh, when on coast to coast, they were just throwing like possible explanations at politis. Right. It's like, did, did you get abducted by aliens? You disappeared. You moved really far. You don't have any, any recollection of any of it. You showed back up. And so, you know, when they throw that at him, <laughs> that, that one was funny because they're like, do you think it could be alien abduction? He was like, I don't know anything about aliens. Yeah. yeah. Um, it definitely seems intelligent mm. to me um, because they're, they're clearly targeting specific people. Right. Because one of the things that comes up a lot in the, uh, the national parks missing people cases, it's one person out of a group. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily that that person has gotten separated from the group. Like there are stories where people are hiking and they're, um, I don't know what the term for it is, but like if you're in really like, if you're doing like mountain climbing stuff where people actually rope themselves together. Oh yeah. So like belaying or I guess that's. Yeah, well, that's like when, when one person on the is. Ground. Yeah, yeah. But that has actually happened too. Okay. So there's one story. A guy was. <laughs> dude just is like I know, they're, on a they're, rope they're, and not on a rope yes, anymore. <laughs> yes. No way, dude. So. Come on. Someone, there, there's a group of people climbing. And the dude who's on belay, so he's down on the ground with the harness and the rope, and he's, you know, he's responsible for holding the other person who's actually climbing. Right. The guy climbing feels the rope go limp. And he comes back down, and dude is gone, and no one ever sees him again. Fuck (laughs) that. So, it's not, like, I, I... there's no explanation for that. An animal, you would hear it. Mm-hmm. You would hear, if you got picked off by an animal, you would make a lot of noise. Probably. And if, if you're blaying somebody, you're not that far away. Right. This guy was probably, you know, a hundred, no more than a hundred yards away from this person. Right. It's happened though when people are on the ground. So someone is five feet behind and they're attached and the dude feels the rope go limp and he turns around and the rope is just sitting on the ground and that dude is gone forever. Dude, and if it's I some... hate this so much. This is like the this is just the weirdest shit ever. He, he brought up the uh, the idea of like, is it are people falling into another dimension? Is it like a dimensional portal or something? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, then everyone in front of him would have gone through it. Uh, I don't know much about interdimensional portals either. If it's but... anything like the portal gun from Rick and Morty, <laughs> it's just a big hole, and then you go through it. And you can create loops where you fall through your own portals right, over and over again. Right. I, but there's no explanation if it's a if it's a serial killer or something because that's that's one that other people have have brought up. Like, sure. well, maybe there's some wild that's, man lives out in the national park. Yeah, and, you know, you're not going to get caught very easily. There are a million places to like hide or dispose of evidence or whatever. Right. Like, you would hear. You're not going to abduct and and like with the the sobering coincidence, like the guys who are going missing in urban areas. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys, like, you're not going to abduct a six foot two, 200 pound guy right. easily and right. without him putting up a fight and without right. some sound being, you know, like right. someone would notice that. It's, yeah, I think the, I think the, the thing that I've noticed too in like, just like the interviews that I've listened to with, with Politis is like, he does really drive home the point of how, um, how instantly and how, um, without a Tracy, people disappear. That sounds stupid, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. how it's, they're just the, gone. Yeah. The remarkable part is how quickly and how completely they have just vanished. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting ones that, and, 
and this kind of gets back to something you were talking about earlier too. One of the interesting stories that I heard him tell in one of the interviews I was listening to goes back to one of the hunters that he talks about. And when yeah. you were talking about like singling out certain individuals or, or it's like individuals from a group, mm-hmm. one of the things he was saying in the hunter book is that for some reason, often the people who go missing out of these hunting groups are often um, like the eldest of the group. Picking off the weak ones. Well, but the weird. I, it, it, it seems like a really intelligent process of like sing, like isolating people who are most vulnerable. But he was also saying that not only are they the most vulnerable, but they're also like the wisest of the group, which would make you oh. think that they would like you're talking about like. So the one case that he was talking about, I believe, was in Maine and it was a 79 year old hunter with his son, like two of his sons or his son mm-hmm. and his nephew or something like that. It was probably Glenn. It was not Glenn. It was not Glenn. As far as we know, Glenn is still kicking. Thank the holy Lord of whatever you believe in. Um, But like, yeah, so 79 year old dude with his, like I said, like I think it was his son and his nephew or, you know, like a small group. Dude walks with a cane. So they take him on a hunting trip and they're like, all right, man, hang out here. Like this is going to be your stand or your spot or whatever. Oh yeah, I read this one. We'll do the we'll do the work to like push deer drive them back towards, towards you, you yeah, so yeah, that yeah. you can you know you can still participate without whatever. But you're talking about the oldest one in the group, the one who's done the most hunting trips, so like probably knows the most about hunting in general. And by the time they push all the deer back to the spot where a dude is supposed to be, surprise, he's not. And explain it to me. <laughs> explain it to me. <laughs> Um, and gonna, I should just, I should have been mashing this the entire yeah, time we've been explain talking. It to me. Explain <laughs> it to me. Explain it to me. Explain just it to every me. Every sentence you finish. Yeah, drop Jesus, in. man. Um, and, 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 and they found this dude. It was something like six or seven days later. He's over a hill in another valley that they weren't even like hunting in. Uh, the 79 year old dude who was walking with the cane is three miles away, face down in a pond. Jesus. And he's dead of hypothermia and a heart attack is what they said happened. Gotcha, bitch. I'm only pushing buttons because I don't know what else to do. I know, man. (laughs) But the thing, okay, so here's often I feel like How does a 70-year-old, 79-year-old man- He he doesn't. I mean, Scale a mountain and for what possible reason? So this is, okay, so that question is actually what I really want to talk about because I feel like we try to go to this level sometimes when the, sh- when the shit gets weird, we try to go, why, right? Like, that is the question, is like, why? And for some of these things, I feel like we have good whys or, at least, you know, like even like, you know, crop circles, right? Like, why? Well, somebody's either making art in fields or aliens are trying to talk to us. There, at least there's like or a why there. People pull pranks because it's fun. Or, and, yeah, yeah, or that. But yeah. like... No one is pranking 79-year-old dudes by dragging them three miles away that's, over the course of like an prank. hour. That's not a prank. That's murder. That's called murder. <laughs> and like, and we would have seen, like, there's so many things that we would know if that were the case. Right. So, like, to me, the, the thing that I don't understand about all of these is, like, there's no good why to any of them. Right. Unless, like, like. Shit, if, there's not even a how. Yeah, totally. You can't even get to the question of why because we don't even know what happened. How it happened, right. Yeah. We but don't like, know who or what did Whatever happened, we don't know who, we don't know how, right. we certainly don't know why. Right. All we know is that somebody died, but we don't even know what killed him most of the time. He's got to have a take on this, right? Like he, like I know that it's probably in his best interest as someone who is like trying to remain pretty objective, well, or and or someone who 
profits off of the mysteriousness of this shit. Well, that's, I mean, that's definitely part of it, I'm sure. But I also think that if he were to, like, if he were to take a stance on one of these, he would probably be ridiculed no matter what stance he took. The closest I've heard him get to taking a stance. Yes. Is he said, quote, it would be hard to explain if it were a human. Got it. That still doesn't say what he thinks is happening or mm-hmm. if he, I, I think he honestly doesn't know. Yeah. Because I mean, I've read a couple hundred of these cases. I've listened to a bunch more. No, no individual one of them makes much sense. Right. And when you compile all of them, it makes zero sense. And there's no one explanation that comes close to covering it. Well, and that was the thing I was going to say, too, is like, you know, it'd be one thing if he had focused his entire life on the national parks thing. And there were all these national parks that started to have overlapping like mm-hmm. data and stuff. I feel like then you could start going, all right, well, you know, what can we rule out or like what would make sense for this area or like whatever. Mm-hmm. But then when you tack on like dudes getting lost in urban areas, like and being found months later or whatever, like that has not that has nothing to do with it. There's no. And yet it seems like it does yeah i know because another part of it and i forgot to uh i forgot to mention this at the beginning when we went through sort of the the profile that he's developed yes most often when people are found whether they're dead or alive um they are found in locations that have already been searched so in the in the parks um like someone will go this is just an example this is not a specific case but this happens in hundreds of the cases that he talks about somebody goes missing they run out this huge search party hundreds of people and they search you know a five mile radius from wherever this person was last seen and they do like a a grid you know so you walk you get a bunch of people you all go arm's length apart from each other and you cover every square foot of that area and then you turn around and walk it back and right yeah and they find nothing or they find uh like a shoe or a pair of glasses. And then a week later, two weeks later, a month later, this person is found in plain sight in that area that was already searched often like on the trail, not, not in an area that could have possibly been missed when they were searching, like propped up against a tree or sitting, you know, lying next to the trail in plain sight. So this person either, I guess best case scenario was lost and then very conveniently died in a very visible spot later. So they were maybe moving around when you were searching, but it seems more like they were taken by someone or something and then placed back later in a way where it would be like, you're going to get found again. Right. And that it's, it seems like sort of the same thing with the, uh, and that like the, with the sobering coincidence, the guys in urban areas, it seems to align with that same concept of if you didn't want, even if, okay, so if it were accidental and somebody falls in the river, you don't end up propped up in the middle of the river. Generally, no. <laughs> and, Generally, no. And if I'm some crazed serial killer, I don't kill somebody and then take a boat out to the middle of the Mississippi and prop a guy up. Yeah. 
a week later. Like right. that. Like every, anytime and, you insert a how, the why just makes no sense. And he, Politis brings up, if it is a person doing this, of the cases that fit this profile, and now, you know, it's hundreds of them now. Yeah. They have a 100% success rate. As in no one has ever been. None of these cases that he's identified as fitting this profile have ever been explained. Now, you could say, okay, he's only selecting the ones that aren't explained, which is possible. But right. if it's a person, or it, first of all, it would have to be multiple people because it's all over the world now. He's, there are some stories in the, both the most recent books from outside of the U.S. So it's a bunch of people all acting in the similar way. And none of them have ever been caught. That seems super unlikely. Right. Huge, yeah. Hugely unlikely. You want to hear one more that's not going to help explain anything, but is super fascinating? Let's take one quick break and we'll swing back and we'll have a final story to wrap things Coming up. Coming back with Robot Grandma. Oh, God. Robot Grandma. Oh, Jesus. Explain it to me. <laughs> explain it to me. We'll be right back with the What If Podcast. Robot Grandma Podcast. We want to hear from you. Send us a message. Email hi, that's H-I, at whatifpodcast.com. Or leave us a voicemail at 612-246-4614. Robot grandma. Robot grandma. Robot. <laughs> All right. We got two more stories. Two oh, more I, stories. I, yeah, I said one, but I got to do two because... One is just because robot grandma is not good enough. <laughs> robot grandma is great. Um, I'm gonna start with that one because the the other one is super creepy. And I kind of want to end robot on. Gra- I want to end on robot grandma. Okay, all right, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, I don't want to send people out on the super creeped out note. Okay, well, in that case, uh, <laughs> super creeped out thing is coming at you right about now. This comes from Minnesota, as many of these stories do. Which is weird. Shout out to our home state. Yeah, especially in the hunting one. There's a bunch of stuff from like Minnesota and Wisconsin and areas where people hunt. There's a man named Henry McCabe. Okay. He's from Minnesota. He's actually a state auditor. And he went missing. This was, when was this? This was like 2000, pretty recently. Uh, 2015. August of 2015. This is a year ago? Two years ago? Coming up on two, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. September of 2015. There's like a small part of my brain that wants to think that these are like, oh, wasn't that weird in the 90s when people disappeared? <laughs> it's so much worse nope. that it's happening nope. recently. This is this is two years ago in Moundsview, my guy. Okay. Uh, less than two years ago. So That's why we don't live in Moundsview. <laughs> he, go, he goes missing <laughs> at uh, overnight on September 7th. Okay. At 2.28, he calls his wife. And she doesn't answer because it's 2.30 in the morning. it's 2.28. Yeah. And he leaves a voicemail for her. And we're going to play the voicemail in a moment. I'd super um, rather not, but I think we have to. <laughs> Man, we're, we? we're definitely going to. Okay. Um, it's the, the voicemail is about two minutes long. I'm going to play a shorter section of it. Uh, but it consists of a lot of just sort of weird, uh, indecipherable noises and then there are some growls and moans. Okay, wait. Let's just listen to it. Let's just listen to it. What do okay. You, what do you got? Well, I don't know. I just part, yeah, of, part no, of me wants no, to yeah, decompress yeah. it just, after just we get hear it. it. <laughs> just get, just it, over get it over with. with. Yeah. Okay. Here you go. It's a voicemail unlike anything you've ever heard before. 
There are two minutes worth of noises, bizarre ones. Shut the fuck up. But very little actual talking. Authorities confirmed the disturbing middle-of-the-night call came from Henry McCabe's cell phone. That's more than enough, I think. Uh... What in the goddamn <laughs> fuck was that? That sounded like it came from a news story. Is that a news story? Yeah, it's from ABC News. Oh, this this man. was this was a national. I mean, it, it became a big story at least locally. But this is from ABC National News that I'm, I'm playing this from right now. Okay, so explain it to me. I super <laughs> fucking can't. For okay, for we recorded like a good chunk of this episode on video, and I'm kind of bummed we didn't record that. <laughs> Your reaction because I that? kind of just lost my fucking mind. Mm-hmm. Um. Police have, quote, been unable to make any definite conclusions about the disturbing voicemail. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Oh, it kind of gave me the, ooh. Oh, dude, that audio is hideous. I've listened to it three or four times, and it's three or four too many. So his his buddy drops him off at the gas station, like, right a couple blocks from his house, because he can get something out and then walk the rest of the way home. Yep. Never comes home. The next morning, his wife calls the police and files a missing persons report. Um, as, and they, you, as you do when you get that voicemail in the middle of the night. Yeah, and she she said that she thought the audio or the voice on the on the voicemail was him. She doesn't say why, but I mean, I guess that would make sense that it Part would be. It didn't even sound human, right? It's it's pretty far out. So that was on September seventh. Um, on November fourth, he was found in. A lake. Obviously dead. The report says that his death, quote, does not appear to be suspicious. Explain it to me. Yeah. Pa- pardon? Yeah. Not how, what about that is not suspicious? Dead two months later in a lake after leaving that voicemail in the middle of the night. Medical examiner said that they found no signs of injury on McCabe's body. There's no way that that person was not being injured in that moment. That sounds like a person in the in the midst of the most insane emotional or psychological or physical trauma. Mm-hmm. Dude, I am so skeeved out right now. It's not even funny. The only that I'm now reading from a Star Tribune article from November of uh, 15. So two months after that first article. Uh the only sort of kind of explanation that they give is that it, they say, quote, a leader in the Twin Cities Liberian community said that investigators shouldn't rule out the possibility that McCabe's death was linked to violence in his home country, which I'm assuming is Liberia, where he survived 14 years of civil war. What? A, what does that mean? Right. Because you're Liberian, you end up dead in a lake. I don't really see the connection. I don't either. He said, they would kill without remorse. They've done it for years. He says of some Liberians, some leader that guy is. Uh, But then if you've been killed violently, the coroner finds no signs of injury. Well, and that there's, there are no marks on your body. Right. Also, if you've been gone for two months and you've been in, if you've been in water for two months, there's nothing left of your body to look at. Yeah, September. Well, so, yeah, September to November. I mean, September is warm enough here. Like you, you are definitely decomposing. A body does not last two months in a, in water. No, no. I'm just saying, like colder months, it would probably preserve better than the warmer ones. But still, 
September, it's 70 degrees still. Yeah. If not more. There's no way there's anything recognizable about you after two months in water. There, so that dude was held somewhere for a, a month, two months, and then dumped in a lake, but without injury? That sound, it sounded like it's, a guttural, like, inhuman creature. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a Wookiee. You know what Wookiees look a lot like? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's true. Oh, wait. I got to get mine. Explain it to me. Oh, you got the, the double hit. Gotcha, bitch. <laughs> oh. I meant to hit that one. Robot grandma. Okay. Robot grandma. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to do we can with only a go state up. auditor we, who, like... We can only go up from here. Got absolutely... Bigfooted. Bigfooted? Or, <laughs> or alien? I mean, mm-hmm. is that dude, like, on... Is that dude leaving a voicemail while he gets, like grabbed by the beam me up Scotty beam that like yanks him up into a ship and his body's being like turned into minute little pieces and like sucked into another dimension. Cause that's kind of what it sounds like is happening to yes, that guy. I think the answer is yes. Christ almighty. Henry McCabe, uh, shout out to Tony for putting me on to that audio slash reverse shout out. Fuck you to Tony for oh, making God. me listen to that audio. Tony, I love you, but I'm really bummed out. I had to hear mm-hmm. that tonight. Also it's, it makes it way worse that that's, 10 miles from here and happened a year and a half ago. Man, my girl's out of town tonight. I'm going to have to sleep alone and shit. Stay here. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Got you. We'll sleep, sleep together with the lights on in the studio. Burn uh, these missing 411 books before, for real, before for it gets real. dark. Get real drunk so we don't think about things before we pass out. Okay. Please tell me Robot, Robot Grandma. Grandma's a little bit better. It's, it's a little better. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Uh, 2010. Mount Shasta, California. Shasta. Shout out to Shasta Soda. A three. There's a lot of weird, cool conspiracies about Mount Shasta that we don't have time for right now. Ooh, by the way, what if Mount Shasta coming yeah, at you if, soon? What if that's one of the uh, the reptilians live in the inner Earth locations? Ooh. If you ask the reptilians who live in the inner Earth people, sweet, uh huh, sweet. Mount Shasta, California, 2010. Uh, a three year old kid goes missing. Okay, he had been camping with his family along the bank of a of a creek. I don't know who takes their three year old camping, but Whatever. At a six, at approximately six p.m., kid goes missing. Parents obviously go searching for him for about five hours, and they contact. They can't find him. They contact the sheriff and the uh, the park park police, the National Forest Park Police, or whatever they're called. Yeah. Five hours later, he's found lying in like a clearing in the woods, directly next to the trail that the that they had been searching along. So okay. this kid is, he just shows up on the trail, basically. Where they've been probably walking and hollering and walking yeah, and hollering. Like five or six hours later. Um, this one is kind of unique because usually these people either don't show up again or they are dead when they show up again. This kid is fine. He's unharmed. I'm trying not to get ahead of you, but I, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> Please continue. So this kid shows up uh, like five or six hours later and he's he's fine. Okay. And the parents are like... Thank God you're you're here. You're fine. You, sorry, you said five or six hours later. Yeah. Okay. And but I mean, at that point, he went missing at six p.m. So we're talking midnight, one a.m. Yeah. somewhere in there. Um, they go home. Everything seems to be fine. A couple of weeks later, the kid's grandma is babysitting him, and uh, 
the kid says to to her, to his grandma, that he didn't like his other grandma. And she's like, uh, what, what, what other grandma? What are you talking about? And he said, don't you remember when I was lost in the woods? The other grandma, uh, Kathy is, is her, is the woman's name. So he says the other grandma, Kathy grabbed me and took me to a creepy place. She's really a robot. It was a cave with spiders and there were purses and guns. I was too scared. So I didn't touch anything. But when grandma climbed a ladder, the light made her look like a robot. There were other robots there too, but they didn't move. She made me lay down to look at my tummy. Then she tried to get me to poop on a sticky paper, but I couldn't go. She told me I am from outer space and they put me in my mom's tummy. Then she took me back to the river and said to wait until somebody found me. Explain it to me. Robot grandma. <laughs> Bro, can we get um, can we get robot grandma t-shirts made for the what if podcast? Yes. That's the Bro. next that once we're out of what if hats, <laughs> I'm just gonna, we're gonna pretend that robot grandma is like a punk band and just make a bunch of merch Ooh, for it. Ooh, yes. Yeah. And only if you're in the in crowd and you know about the robot grandma story mm-hmm. from the podcast will you know. Um she also states that the kid said, quote, she had your same hair, your feet, and your same <laughs> face. We're looking at grandma's feet, you little weirdo. Yeah, right. <laughs> you little weird kid. <laughs> Get that shit out. Um, she said this scared her deeply. No shit. <laughs> that, the, <laughs> that the idea of some kind of doppelganger taking on her own image to abduct her grandson. Um, she said she got the impression that she, he may have been talking about a hologram because of the way he described the light sparkling on mm. the strange woman. Mm. This is from a politest book or is this from something else? This... Uh, this is originally, the story is originally from uh, Jacques Vallée book from the mid 70s. Yeah. UFO researcher, all things paranormal dude, Jacques Vallée, um, that then Politis pulled because it seemed to fit some of the criteria. Right. I don't think this is in any of his books. I, I heard him reference it, it in a uh, in a, a radio interview. Um, oh, boy. Last part of the story. She said that she probably wouldn't that she probably would have written off the story to an overactive imagination if it right. were, if it wasn't for a strange experience that had happened to her a year prior when she was camping in the same area um near Mount Shasta in California. She claims she woke up one morning face down in the dirt having been removed from her tent and sleeping bag and she had a puncture wound on the back of her head. Get the fuck out of here. She said she fe- felt violently ill that morning. Felt strangely emotionless, and she thought maybe she had been bitten by a poisonous spider. Uh, she said she was with a friend who had been sleeping in a separate camper who also woke up with a, quote, bite on the back of his neck and felt ill as well. The only... Fuck, I didn't even read this last part before. Whew. The only strange, the only thing strange that she could recall was seeing red eyes shining through the trees in their flashlights the night before, which they thought were deer. Alien deer. Alien, Alien deer. deer. <laughs> Alien deer and robot grandma should have a battle of the bands. Alien deer is opening for robot grandma <laughs> this Saturday, one night only. Holy balls. That's a weird story. I guess like that's what I think of too is like, okay, three-year-old kid probably watched a bunch of movies. Uh, like, what about the alien deer? 
But that's like that's also way too much to assemble for a three year old. Like, right? Like that 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 also, level of story. Also, spiders don't drag you out of your tent. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> Man, yeah, sleepwalking is a thing, and I, there are other explanations, obviously. But goddamn, if that one isn't weird. Purses and guns, and right? when you climbed a ladder, you looked like a robot. And then clearly a lot of that stuff, like where would that kid be getting alien abduction lore from, you know? Three years old, probably like nowhere. putting these weird beings put me in my mom's stomach? I I do, not to like totally bang on this one, but I do think sometimes like I always wonder how many things get passed in translation from what the kids said to what the grandma heard to what the grandma told the parents to what yeah. the parents told the whoever. I mean, that's that's the only sol- solace in any of this is that like maybe these are second and third hand stories and like maybe the kid meant to say we had a nice afternoon in the park. <laughs> yes, yes. This kid played the shittiest game of telephone of all time. Right. And that's what actually... How it actually started. Fishing by the creek turned into being abducted into an yeah. alien cave. I took a nap in a sunny spot under a tree, mm-hmm. and a and a nice bear cub cuddled me until I woke up and my mom found me. The end. You know that that's one too, right? What? That a kid reported that a, a bear took care of him for like three days while he was missing. <laughs> yeah, that's also Right? You were trying to make up the stupidest shit you possibly could. Turns out that's actually a real story. Fuck. Uh-huh. Bro, you did read a lot of these. You got a story for everything now. Mm-hmm. So we got, okay, so we got Bigfoot. We got. Which, too noisy, too smelly. Alien abductions. We got. I see no holes in that one other than like, that probably isn't a real thing. We got weird feral serial killers that live in the woods. One would eventually get caught. <sighs> I don't know, man. I hate all of this so much. And also, I have no good how or why for it. Yeah. I don't lot. hate it. I love it. I mean, I'm so fascinated by it, but it just there's, absolutely skews me out. There's the the dimensional angle, too, because, and I, I couldn't find the, the specific story I was looking for, but uh, there's one, there's at least one where the person who went missing and came back later was, fo- like, was found yeah. alive and relatively unharmed said that they were still in the woods the entire time and could see other people like oh whoa as if they had maybe slipped into some other realm of of existence and they could see other people like hiding behind the trees and looking out at them and stuff but like they couldn't be seen kind of thing yeah whoa so the only ones the only ones that could maybe kind of make sense are like totally as far as we understand fictional ideas like alternate dimensions or alien abductions (laughs) or like fairies. And, you know, there's all that folklore about the fairy folk and that stuff of like, you can't see them, but they're there and they play tricks on us and all that stuff. And their, and their tricks are scaring the bejesus out of a man in the middle of the night, forcing him to either make that sound or them making some crazy sound. Right. It's not a fun. It's not a funny trick, fairies. That's not cool. <laughs> Cut that out. Also, the like downtown Chicago is not the realm of the fairies. No, what are you doing, not. guys? No, Go back not. to the woods, dicks. Yeah, bunch of dicks. <laughs> go, go hang out with the robot grandma in your world world of characters. What? What? Um. Yeah, man. That's all. Uh, what? Explain it to me. What? <laughs> Explain it to me. That's, that could have been the whole episode. I'm going to do that the whole night while I while I 
drink myself into solace and try to pass out. <laughs> oh shit, man! There's, yeah, there's like uh, mm-hmm. about one percent of all the missing four one one stuff. Well, um, go Google David Politis, P A U L I D E S, oh. if you want to be further freaked out. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of his stuff on on YouTube. He's been on a bunch of different podcasts. Um, if you want to get his books, do not order them on Amazon. Oh, I heard about this. People are just buying them off his website and reselling them for like yeah, three times. For the some money. reason, he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't sell his stuff on Amazon because they take a big cut or something. I guess so. There's no. There's like no Kindle version. There's no ebook of any of his stuff. Mm. And some people are selling the physical copies on there for like a hundred bucks or something oh, ridiculous. Um, but if you, dude, I have my bank statement looked so insane <laughs> last month. I had multiple charges from like Bigfootstore.biz or something because that's the place that sells his books. Like a forty nine dollar charge for oh Bigfoot. Oh my god, we've we've talked about how uh, how lit Spencer's library history uh, definitely is. I should start a like an online used bookstore of all the weird shit that we go through for the podcast. That then is just like slowly filling up our studio. <laughs> maybe maybe we should consider some raffles or something like that. We'll mm. do some run some contests on the website. We'll do some. If you want my annotated version of uh missing 411 yeah we'll yeah. we'll talk more about that um yeah and we'll we'll link to these on whatifpodcast.com so check out the website at whatifpodcast.com if you want to see some links to the books and stuff all right i think that's well, gotta do it for this, for this one <laughs> i guess this is where we leave you guys we, uh, yeah we could totally revisit this one in the future but that's uh that's probably our time for now i think it is um don't disappear on us while <laughs> while we're gone and if you see bruno call interpol please call interpol and uh we'll, we'll in the meantime we'll also try not to disappear on you until we see you <laughs> at least until next wednesday at least until we see you next <laughs> wednesday uh on the what if podcast uh all right be careful out there <laughs> have a good week <laughs> love you bye We'll be back next week with another episode of the What If Podcast.